you have to be your own best advocate. And I think that kind of goes um, to a lot of different professions. Hi, you're listening to In the Pocket, a podcast brought to you by the National Filipino American Lawyers Association. In this episode, Jonah Tolino interviews Tracy Bedua. Now, if we weren't sheltering in place, this conversation would happen somewhere in person in sunny San Diego, probably with Tracy's baby daughter, Ruby, scurrying adorably underfoot. The two talk about growing up as a panai, being a working mom, and finally, bar association leadership. We hope you enjoy this conversation with our bi-coastal powerhouse of a friend, Tracy. Good morning. This is Jonah Tolino. I'm very excited to have our guest with us today, Tracy Badua. Tracy's also uh, a past president of FALSD. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before we get into the questions. But first, let me say good morning, Tracy. Good to have you. Good morning, and thank you for having me. So Tracy Badua is an attorney with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in the Office of Housing Counseling. She joined HUD as a Presidential Management Fellow in 2010. She works on policy and regulations on mortgage servicing and housing counseling. Tracy has served as chair of HUD's Asian American and Pacific Islander Affinity Group, and uh, she lives here in San Diego with her husband, her baby daughter, and her photogenic Maltese. Tell us what you normally would be doing right now on a Saturday morning, if not being interviewed for In the Pocket. (laughs) Um, A normal Saturday morning for me is getting up at around 6 or 6.30 because the baby has woken up and decides she wants to play. Um, Or if I'm unlucky, she's woken up at 5 and has decided to, to get started on the day early. So... Unfortunately, sleeping in is no longer an option for us, but it's fine. We, we get up early, um, make some coffee, and I just kind of sip or, depending on the night before, chug it throughout the morning <laughs> until her next nap. So right now it would be about the time that she would take a nap, and it's when I would be checking emails, um, cleaning up the mess she made during breakfast, and then just making sure that the, the dog has a little bit of attention. Sounds like a busy day. We're, and I want to say we're halfway through your day, but I know as a mom myself, that's not even close to the <laughs> truth. Your day is going to be long, and we appreciate you taking a break from all of that to be with us. So um, let's get into it, Tracy. Tell us where you were born and where you grew up. Sure. I was uh, born and raised here in Southern California in Los Angeles County, um, a little bit east of, of LA, the city. I was... Uh, Spent most of my childhood in Hacienda Heights. Their claims to fame are that we're close to West Covina and we've got um, Haas Avocados and Fergie of the Black Eyed Peas. So that is where I was was born and raised. I have an older brother. Um, He's uh, about two years older than me. He's here in San Diego. So, um, you know, before, uh, before the pandemic, we used to hang out all the time. And his son is actually about one and a half, two months older than my daughter. So we used to, you know, have play dates and, and hang out all the time. Tell us about the culture where you grew up and, and tell us how it shaped you. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a, a multi-generational household. Um, I think like a lot of Filipino Americans, like it was, we always had like a, um, one of my grandmas would always be over providing some sort of childcare while my parents were at work. 
I grew up around a lot of cousins. Um, and it's, it's funny because I remember having uh, classmates being like, you always talk about your cousin doing this and doing this. I never see my cousins except for like holidays or once a year. I was like, I literally see my cousins, you know, once a week. I was just over at the house. They cooked dinner. They sent food over. So it was a very, uh, I was very lucky to have that, um, that kind of big extended, but like very close family growing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and what, what was their cultural demographic in, in your city neighborhood? Our block, um, was, was a mix. It, we were the only, I think, Filipino family on our block. Um, there were, our neighborhood was predominantly, you know, Mexican, um, a few Chinese families, a few Korean families, that whole area of, you know, the West Covina, Roland Heights and, um, Hacienda Heights area has just, um, I think has, for as long as I could remember, um, been predominantly minority. Um, and it was, you know, it was interesting because it's one of those things that I didn't realize until I'd moved out, um, that I lived in a diverse community. Um, it just like, it never occurred to me. I was like, these are my neighbors. Um, it wasn't until, again, I moved until to, you know, the East Coast, um, was in Washington, D.C., and, and living in a very different environment that it kind of started uh, getting into my brain that, that I, was, I was lucky to grow up in that kind of environment. Do you speak any of the um, Filipino dialects? None. None. <laughs> um, and this is, cool. you know, to, to, my great, to my great shame and to my parents' never-ending amusement when I try to pronounce things. Um, but we grew up speaking English in our house um, and no Tagalog at all because my grandmothers were Ilocano and I didn't realize this till much, much later, but I think um, they actually didn't really know a lot of Tagalog because they mm. were, you know, born and raised in, in their Ilocano communities in the Philippines. And so it just never really, they never really had to learn Tagalog. So it's something that I didn't notice, and I'd actually asked one of my grandmothers about it a couple of years ago. She's like, "Yeah, I don't know what that what they're saying on that TV show." And I was like, "Wow, that's <laughs> Filipinos fascinating. are different." Wow. So, yeah, so. really. I I think you touch on a point of just one of the uniquenesses of our culture. I think, which is microcultures mm -hmm. within the Philippine culture, and for for there to be such kind of a wall between. The dialects is fascinating to me. The typical ways that I feel like Filipino Americans are able to connect with um, being Filipino is through you know watching a lot of Filipino media and like even is it um, Mike Bustos and all those different uh, big players in, in media of like singing in Tagalog and I was like I can't I can't even understand like even recipes I will have to sometimes look yeah. and see what the Ilocano equivalent is and be like oh okay I know exactly okay what that yeah is. that's what the, yeah I I just learned the difference which I don't even actually know if there is a difference between Nilaga and Bulalo which I'm <laughs> yeah. not even sure if I'm saying that correctly see, and I think um, we call it La Oya so like I oh. are they the same I'm not you know I'm sure somebody you know, Hopefully somebody will listen to this and let me know afterwards if there are, are differences in like, you know, the fish sauce ratio or something. Tell us about what aspects of growing up in your household shaped you um, both as a person and now as a lawyer. Sure. Uh, so my mother's mother was an elementary school teacher in the Philippines. Um, and so when she moved to the United States to help take care of my brother and I, um, she 
kept those elementary school teacher skills going. She made us worksheets like during the summer. Like we were the weird kids that I was like, I gotta go. I can't play guys. I have to go and do do homework. And they're like, Tracy, it's July. Like where? <laughs> and you're six years old. What are you doing homework for? I was like, I gotta go learn verbs. I'll be right back. Um, so, you know, my younger cousins and I, I joke about that, but um, that was, looking back that I think that was one of the most useful things was just that emphasis um, on education that, you know, started very, very early. It's kind of the, the joke when, you know, when you're young and you're like, I want to be, you know, I want to do this thing. They're like, well, how about you be a lawyer? Or how about you be a nurse? Mm -hmm. Or how about you do this? So I was like, I want to be a writer. And they're like, yep, check, lawyer. <laughs> but like, wait, no, Perfect. No, no, no. I said writer. They're like, oh, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> And I did. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have, you know, gone to law school and gotten my degree and everything. So um, it's just kind of it's kind of funny to uh, to kind of look back and, and, and see that uh, the different ways in which um, Filipino parents and grandparents are like subtly steer you places. Yeah, 100 percent. And and I and I know Falsy echoes that sentiment. We're grateful you went into law <laughs> because it brought you to us. So and to and Fala. Uh, did that continue through high school for you, Tracy, that, that sort of mentality? And um, did it shape your experience as an as a teenager, an older teenager? Yeah. I mean, talking about that, uh, that whole solid basis of, of education part, um, that definitely led me to a very competitive high school um, where every, you know, and that's c coming from a, I, I went to a Lutheran private school um, for elementary school. And it was very small, and like you're, if you're, you're used to being kind of like, oh, the smart kid. There's only like so many of you, so you're like, oh, you feel really mm -hmm. great about yourself. And then you go to an environment that is super competitive. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm middle of the pack here. I have to work <laughs> ten times harder to make sure that I'm not only keeping up but distinguishing myself. Going to that competitive uh, high school really helped prepare me for the fact that you know. You, you got to keep working. You can't get lazy. You have to um, look for ways to distinguish yourself. You have to um, be prepared to put in the time and the hard work and to, to, to be uncomfortable with not being like the smartest kid or the best kid in the class. You just have to keep going. Right. That's a great point. You know, I felt that going into law school. Oh, <laughs> like, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> oh. What are, percent what are class percentages? I don't know. What are those words, actually, that person is saying? I haven't heard that English uh, vocabulary. Um, did you have a debut for for those of those of our uh, audience members listening? Um, if you don't know what a debut is in the Filipino American culture, it's sort of the equivalent of um, the Hispanic cotillion, I think, or uh, quinceanera, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's a huge deal. So, did you have one, Tracy? I did, and um, it was also uh, a uh, it was my birthday and I had uh, very, very recently graduated high school. So it was like a twofer party on my mm. parents' part. So they like rented out a local local country club. I got to to wear these big poofy dresses. It was it was a good time. I, I didn't have one, but I had one uh, like a big party after I turned 21 and graduated from college. And it's a nice excuse for all the titos and titas, the uncles and aunties to show up and we call it bonga bonga, <laughs> get all dressed up and, and party it up. So um, I, I, I think that's one of the bigger things that I, I appreciated growing up around um, 
my family and other uh, other Filipino Americans was the the idea of just having like these big parties all the time for you know for like the littlest reason like why not one year old yeah yeah we'll just everyone get together everyone come to the house um you know the uncles will play cards in the garage and then the aunties will either you know chismis in the in the kitchen Mm -hmm. or someone will pull out the the magic mic uh karaoke and it's just there's always always a reason to to get together i love it um what about college tracy tell us a little bit about your experience in college so i was um I went to UCLA, uh, and I, I feel like college was one of the least, personally, the least interesting parts of my life, just because I, mm. I, uh, I was lucky enough to graduate in three years with um, a major and a minor. And what that means is you really got, have to load your class schedule um, to make sure that you are taking enough credits and everything to graduate so you don't end up with like, oh, I have one last class and I have to be right. here another semester and pay all these other fees for that. Um, so I, you know, I was really focused on academics, really, um, really just focused on making sure that I was setting myself up um, for law school. And I don't know if there was ever a moment um, in my life where I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to do this. Um, but it was something that I think was always in my trajectory ever since I was, I was younger. It was something that I've always had my eye on. Um, and part of the, you know, part of that is after I graduated in three years, um, I did take a year off to, to work at a, at a a law firm in, in LA just to get a feel for what, you know, actually being a lawyer is like, because after rushing through three years of really just straight school, um, I wanted to make sure that I knew enough about the legal profession to, you know, to continue in that direction. Um, and also to, you know, to focus on the LSATs because that was a whole other, a whole mm-hmm. other thing that I had to do that I, I couldn't take, you know, prep courses while continuing to, to push forward on this really heavy um, course load. What's funny is it made me sure that I didn't want to be a litigator. So there's that. So I was like, all right, let's do law school, but let's not do what this guy's doing. (laughs) You know what? Better you learned it then than, um, you know, 10 years into your career, which happens. Where'd you go to law school and how'd you end up in D.C.? I went to George Washington. Um, I ended up in D.C. because, you know, as... As, as mentioned earlier, after working at that, um, at that law firm, I decided, you know, I want to do policy because being a litigator is, is not in me. I just, I know that, I know that about myself. Um, so I wanted to work in policy and government. Uh, so what better place to do that than um, Washington, D.C.? I want to ask you about your experience in law school. I understand from you that you were the, at least that you knew of, you were the only Filipino person in your law school at the time that you went. What the heck was that like? <laughs> there were a few international, you know, LLM students, but from what I recall, I was one of one of the very few uh, Filipina um, students at the time that I was at my law school. And I, I, you know, since I have met folks that, you know, went to the same law school or um, are in there. And it's fantastic to see these other folks who are, uh, who are, you know, going and it's succeeding. Like Gisela um, in in Fala, D.C. is somebody that I met recently, and I was so excited to hear that she uh, graduated from the same law school that I did because I was like, oh, good. Like, I was there, and you, know, you were there. Like, we'll just continue to send people there. It's good. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I say that because it's, it's uh, I recognize now that I'm 
more involved in the Filipino American lawyer community, how much of a challenge that was. And I, and I, I recognized a little bit at the time when, you know, it's really hard when you're looking for a job and the career offices just tells you, hey, why don't you go network? Why don't you go ask around with your other family and friends, um, you know, what attorneys they know. And uh, there are no, I'm the first person to have pursued, I think, uh, anything past the bachelor's in, in my extended mm -hmm. family. So it's, um, at least in, like in, in, in our generation. So it's very weird to me when someone's like, oh, you know, just go ask your family and go, go ask your family for the, the different lawyers they know. There were none. So mm -hmm. that was very odd to me. Whereas other, um, other folks were like, oh yeah, I just asked my, my, my dad's friend and they had a, you know, they accepted me as the, an intern at their firm and that kind of thing. And it's just right. like looking, looking back at it, um, to know that other, uh, in other parts of the country that there were networks of Filipino American attorneys that were either starting or, you know, were already established. Like that is so cool. Like it's, it's something that I wish, um, I had known about or had uh, some, you know, the knowledge back then to engage in. I'm glad now that uh, people in law school have the networks um, in place to be able to to reach out and, and see those of us who have, you know, forged ahead, I want to say. I don't mm -hmm. want to call myself any sort of trailblazer, but like the fact that... Um, oh, but you are. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, um, you know, the fact that I've, I've been at HUD all this time and I'm like every, any time when I was at headquarters, I would see other, uh, other Filipinas, like I would try to approach them and say hi. So, um, hopefully just even being here, um, and being visible, uh, helps those coming up. And then I was, uh, fortunate enough to get accepted into the presidential management fellowship program, which takes folks straight from grad school and it doesn't have to be law school. It could be any sort of other graduate program. And after you do, um, you know, you go through a test and I think there is now they've instated interviews. Um, you're able to uh, start a fellowship at any federal agency um, for about two years. And it, they let you kind of rotate around and, and experience what other agencies are up to before hopefully uh, landing a full time job, um, permanent full time job at, at your, an agency of your choosing. Got it. And how long were you in D.C.? Oh, gosh, we were about, we were there about eight years for my husband, maybe about nine years. Um, so a lot longer than I thought I'd be out there uh, when mm -hmm. I first moved there. I think when when I first moved, I, I imagined that I would be there for, for the three years of law school and then move right back home, but that didn't happen. You know, with the, um, with the fellowship, I, yeah, that was a, at least another two years um, because if you're gonna work in, in policy on the federal side, you definitely have to be in DC. It's very hard to do. Um, outside of headquarters mm. um, because you need to know people you need to uh, be able to adapt quickly you have you have to know what what people are talking about um, and it's it's hard to do when you're when you're far away from all of it give us a little just, just a little summary Tracy of, of what you perceive to be differences in the culture between Southern California and Washington DC since moving back to California I think I've worn a suit three times <laughs> and they're they were probably for Enfala events or like I don't um it's much more it's, it's much more casual here um and it's also you know the nature of, of what I do I actually work remotely um at least you know three days a week I used to go up to the office um in Orange County two days a week and 
even then, the um, field offices are a lot a lot more casual because a lot of what they do is not. Um, sometimes, at least in, in our office, it's not consumer facing. So we, it's not like we have a lot of clients or members of the public walking in. Sure. Um, and we also don't have to deal with, you know, congressmen just casually walking through our halls or, or anything the way we used to um, over in headquarters. I do miss DC uh, for the level of um, just kind of policy and law nerdiness that mm -hmm. I was around. Um, you know, it's the kind of city where, where there would be like a hearing or, you know, a um, congressional or Supreme Court and people would nerd out and go to like the bars in, in the morning and, and have like watching parties for the debates. Like people were definitely into politics and the law and it, you can feel it all the time. Um, here in San Diego, it's different. You know, everyone is, I, I have friends who are involved in all sorts of different things outside the law and it's great to have um, even that, that kind of mental break from, from what I do. You know, we can mm -hmm. go and just talk about where the best, you know, California burrito is in the city as opposed to like, oh, did you hear this, this and this happened? So it's, a, it's different. The culture is different. And I appreciate having a hand in both because I still work with a lot of folks in headquarters. Yeah, that, that's so cool that you're still connected remotely. And, mm -hmm. and I have to say, the description of that does appeal to the bookworm in me and, it's, and my it was, it's inner fantastic nerd. When you're, I will say <laughs> or outer it's nerd. It's fantastic when you're younger. And like I can't even imagine. Um, and a lot of my friends are still there with their young children. Um, but I can't imagine doing that for myself just because, especially with the way um, I grew up with having a ton of family around and just um, that kind of support, like it was a big deal to me to move back to Southern California to have um, my family around for sure. when we raise uh, raise our, our daughter because I had you know so much fun kind of growing up and with with cousins around and with my my grand my grandmothers around. So I wanted that too, um, and selfishly, like I you know getting that Filipino food. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until after I moved out of DC that I think the like bad saint popped up and a couple like uh, uh, in the city Filipino food places popped up. Purple so. patch. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm already, I feel like laughing already because I know the answer to this, but, but let's talk about your homecoming back to Southern California and tell our listeners, please, how you got involved with Falls D. So when I moved back here, <laughs> And I, I'm actually fuzzy on the time. It was probably three or four years ago. And, and mm -hmm. I don't have the time right in my head because I've been up since, whatever, six in the morning. <laughs> so um, I, we moved back here. And I was um, fortunate enough to start working remotely for uh, my uh, – back then I was doing mortgage servicing policy. I was lucky enough to work on mortgage servicing policy remotely here from San Diego. But what that meant was that I didn't have an office. I didn't have coworkers nearby. I basically moved out here and just didn't know anybody. I was like, okay, I should, I should look up some local, some local lawyers. And so I went and actually Googled, and I'm pretty sure like the phrase was just Filipino attorney San Diego. Mm -hmm. And the falsity uh, website showed up. So there was a little contact us page. And I think I went in and, you know, okay, what's the name of the president? Oh, Jonah Tolino. Okay. So I went and wrote an extremely <laughs> formal email because this is me coming from Washington, D.C. in my suits and being in headquarters and being just professional all the time to being like, dear Mrs. Tolino, I am new to the same, you know, it was very, very formal. <laughs> I remember um, it. <laughs> and then actually you probably still have it in your inbox and I'm going to have to find a way to delete it. Um, and then, you know, 
Jonah, you emailed me back, I think either later that day or the next day with just the friendliest, warmest, like, hey, welcome. We're having this um, holiday toy party. Like you should come by. And then um, so that was that was the beginning of it is I, I went to the holiday toy party, the holiday toy drive, which um, Falsby does every year to uh, collect toys for um, Friends of Scott, which is a foundation that uh, does a lot of work with with local kids in hospitals. So mm -hmm. I children I, with cancer and uh, yes. Mm -hmm. So I brought uh, a couple of toys um, and showed up to meet these other, you know, these other uh, Filipino American legal professionals. Um, and everyone was so friendly and so warm. And I think jokingly, jokingly, though, it makes me wonder now you were like, oh, you should definitely join the board and one day you could be president. And I think I'd laughed awkwardly. But then here, here we are now. <laughs> here we are now, and you're a past president. <laughs> there we go. Gosh, she got me. <laughs> for for the benefit our list of our listeners, Tracy also is one of the warmest, most fun, um, friendly, amazing people I know. And Tracy put her money where her mouth is and joined the board. Part of your time as president, you were pregnant also, and so yes. major props to you for. <laughs> leading us efficiently and warmly and um you know we and i know i speak on behalf of falls d thank you for your immediate commitment um, you've brought a lot of joy and energy to the board and the organization and to Enfala. so thank you tracy um i just giggle because i i very much benefited from you coming that night and consider you a great <laughs> friend um, through our experiences um Let's talk about you as a mom. What are some of the challenges um, that you've encountered as a new mom and as the mom of a young infant while working full time? Um, it's definitely been a been a challenge to to balance because I think um, I'm obviously so used to working at a certain level, working really hard, putting putting myself you know 110 percent into into work and into different organizations I'm part of. And obviously having a young baby like slows that down um, or, or not, you know, I definitely brought her to a couple happy hours. So mm -hmm. I, know, I know a bunch of our, our, our false Z friends have met her just like at, like at a, a networking bar or something. Um, so she, she's very popular at the San Diego County bar because <laughs> of her appearance at, at some of the events. She has, she's, she's been around and, you know, thanks to everybody's held open the door for, for us while we were trying to ro roll in with a stroller. Um, but it's been a challenge just because like I really had to pick and choose uh you know what was important to me what was what what I could focus on and and when so it was this whole new level of trying to prioritize um and and work hard and plan and schedule and acknowledging you know I I I can't or I shouldn't go back to how hard I was working before um mm. life is very different now and and this is a you know a weird a uh, side of work side effect of the pandemic is the fact that now that everybody is forced to be at home um, with their kids because you know no schools are open right now, um, and so I've got these colleagues, I've got I've got bosses who will be will be on these phone calls, and you can hear their kids in the background. Everyone knows how it feels now to have to um, make that choice of like, do I go on this conference call? Do I make that phone call right now, or do I make sure my kid isn't just eating? you know, candy <laughs> all day. Right. So like everybody, but there definitely obviously is no shame now in having being a working parent because everyone was uh, very rapidly thrust into this position of, of being primary caretakers and, you know, full time or, or at, at whatever they're doing. 
Yeah. And, and then uh, getting less sleep while yes. you're at it. Yes. Right. So, um, no, I, I relate um, like it was yesterday to those experiences. Um, this is a question in retrospect, obviously, but how long were you on maternity leave and, and did you encounter that, those sorts of phenomenons? Um, did you have fears about coming back to work? Um, yes, though I, I, I took maybe about, I think, oh, I want to say four and a half, five months off and I came back for a while on a part-time basis before launching straight into it. Before I left on maternity leave, I was very much in, you know, working on regulation, policy, um, different grant things. I had so many things moving. And then I left that for a while. And then, but my brain was still kind of there. I was still trying, like trying to figure out things to do. And I had to stop and slow down because physically it was like, you just had a baby. You need to, you need to take it easy. <laughs> you need to, you need to focus. You need to take care of yourself. Um, in a way that I think it, I obviously was never forced to have to do before. So um, going back to work was a challenge, um, but I was I was eager to, to start up again, to start doing mm -hmm. start doing something, uh, um, you know, a little bit more high level than, than trying to decide if she's pooped or not. Um, there was maybe a little worry of me coming back to, um, to work and then taking on this huge project that I immediately launched straight back into and have been working on since I came back from maternity leave because you know, now that like, oh, if Tracy has this competing um, mm -hmm. priority of, you know, rightfully so of like a small baby yeah. that is depending on her for everything, is she going to be able to um, do these big projects, put in this level of work? Um, and, you know, the answer is, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, of totally. Course, of course. Don't even worry about it. And in fact, <laughs> I will show you, I will do that and I will, you know, um, do it so well that you probably won't even realize how much work goes into it until I, I bug you with something that I can't fix. Um, so it, wow, it's you been, really um, touch on something I think that is not always, I don't think that always comes to light. When new moms come back to work, we come back with this laser focus and almost superhuman energy to get stuff done within a compressed amount of time. For all number of reasons, you, we have to go make it to the daycare or we're on a breast milk pumping schedule. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It all gets done. And a lot of the world doesn't see what happens behind the scenes. I, I think that's a really good point, Tracy. Like I just work 10 times harder in the small amount of time I have because when our nanny leaves, I can't just, I can't just keep going. Like I have to go, you know check yeah. on the baby, see how she's doing until, until dad can take over. And then I can go and answer some emails again. Like it's just been um, juggling back and forth. Yeah. And all the more reason we need to support one another in this. Absolutely. It has been tough. So, you know, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but right now we are still in full stay at home mode. Um, and it has been a challenge trying to balance the full-time jobs and childcare um, for a you know 14 month old baby who doesn't understand what's going on. I can't just be like here, mm -hmm. you know, here's a book. Knock yourself mm -hmm. out for two hours. Like she, she definitely requires constant um, constant attention and care. For the first couple couple weeks, we, you know, we tried to do it on our own, um, and it was fine. But then the poor girl caught a cold, and we it threw us for threw us for a loop. You know, days mm. off. Uh, making sure that she was okay, making sure that it wasn't anything, you know, as serious as it could have been, which thankfully it wasn't. Um, but after that, I think 
you know, we really had to stop and, and pause and be like, okay, so, so what's our plan? I think, I think either one of us needs to not um, be working so hard or we need to get some help. Um, and my, my parents who live in, in LA, we're here in San Diego. My parents actually came and stayed with us for a few weeks so we mm-hmm. could um, really focus a lot of internal kind of back and forth of like, where are my priorities in this? And, and it's been, it's been tough. It's been a challenge. And I think it changes every day uh, about how I feel about work and how I feel about family and, and, you know, what, what's going to give if, if some, if something big comes up. Yeah. Oh, Tracy, all of that. Um, You know, my children are older teenagers and my challenges are different. And I recognize that being able to work from home, and continue in a position is a luxury for many. But uh, in this time of the COVID lockdowns, it's really brought to the surface a lot of issues that I think are not typically part of our natural organic working day. My hope is that as we emerge from this, there's more of a sensitivity of what we as parents and particularly Filipina mothers go through um, Mm -hmm. just to keep things you know, moving along and keep the the ship steered straight. What are some of your thoughts on what we in Enfala and our respective communities can do to support one another, both in this time and and as we come out of this uncertainty? Yeah, you know, I I have to say I really commend um, Enfala and a lot of our a lot of the affiliates for um, very rapidly adapting to. Um, to what's been going on and being able to move remotely with the mid-year, um, you know, trying to connect folks that, that maybe um, were feeling disconnected because of, because of work or they weren't able to come out to previous um, mid-years or gatherings. Um, so, you know, I think, and especially, again, as a mom of a, of a young kid, it's, it's kind of, it's allowed me to be a little bit more involved because I don't have to, you know, find someone to watch her for, you know, a few hours or a few days while I go do something. Um, so it's been the, the way people have been adapting has been, um, and, and sharing best practices through the different webinars and, and everything has been so, uh, has been, you know, really commendable. And I, I, I'm really glad that um, we have a community that uh, is able to adapt to challenges like that. Um, and, and you've also been active with Penai Powerhouse, which was started by Christine Start and a lot of our yeah. F-Bank sisters up in the Bay Area. Yes, um, and this is actually going to be the moment where I, I you know, plug Penai Powerhouse and our please. F-Bank sisters for, um, for all the work they've done, because I think, you know, I've, I've already spoken a little bit about how the challenges of, of being a new mom and a ter- an attorney, and then also, you know, at the same time deciding to, oh, I'm going to be president of Falsy. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Um, but maybe I, you weren't thinking and that's, no, that's good for us. Right. So. It's, it's, it's because I was watching a lot of, you know, Netflix shows about moms and being like, Oh, they, look at them handling this. This is fine. I can mm. do it. It was wrong. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was a challenge, but my big plug for Panay powerhouse is, um, I was, uh, I, I've been to a few of them and I, at the very first one I, I went to where I actually roomed with you, Jonah. Yes. Um, and I think that might've been, you know, the first time I met a lot of our, um, our, our Filipina sisters-in-law, but uh, one of the things that one of the speakers hit said that hit home for me, and I want to say it was uh, Ruthie Ashley that said it, was you can have it all, you just can't have it all right now. Um, and that resonated with me because especially as being, you know, um, 
Filipina attorney, mother, president, and just like, you know, sister, daughter, friend, uh, mm-hmm. colleague, being in all of those roles and trying to maintain that, that was really, it was really exhausting and maybe mm-hmm. un- unsustainable and unrealistic. Um, but keeping that in, in, in mind was something that really helped me uh, kind of focus on, on what I wanted to prioritize um, professionally and personally. Um, and so I, I can't speak enough positive things about Kanai mm. Powerhouse. Um, it's helped me immensely. And it's, it's such a wonderful group of, of, of women um, helping each other and just kind of talking each other through things. Yeah. And, and I know firsthand too, that the conferences tend to bring out some really raw, organic and, and tender moments that we as professionals and practitioners often, you know, um, uh, don't reveal or disclose so openly because there's such a stigma around the strength that we're supposed to have in representing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are cracks sometimes and it's nice to have a support system. And I do want to just share an anecdote, which I think is apropos for this podcast. Um, in the Pocket was sort of born out of that first Pinai Powerhouse conference. Um, Tracy, your um, former boss, Nani Coloretti, who was mm-hmm. number two of HUD under the Obama um, administration, was one of the keynote speakers. And and during her talk, I remember um, just being so drawn in. She was so genuine and speaking about her experience as a, a Hawaiian Islander being in the administration uh, just moved me. And when I went to ask a question, I just blurted out just nonsensically. I, I was so starstruck and taken with her that before I asked my question, I said, can I just tell you, Ms. Coloretti, that I just want to put you in my pocket for when I have a bad day and take you out and, and have you right there with me um, to have you cheer me up. And it was just total nonsense coming (laughs) out of my mouth. I felt so dumb. She was so warm though. And she moved in closer to hear my question and I felt validated. And um, June, who was sitting near me, she asked the next question and um, so graciously said that she wanted to put me in her pocket. (laughs) And saved me from um, the embarrassment uh, of that moment. And so um, that's where the term pocket sister was born. (laughs) So um, it has evolved much um, in in great part to June's um, foresight in her execution to this podcast. And I I think it's perfect. Um, The guests that we've had on, including you, Tracy, you speak to things and and it's right in the pocket of what we as um, Enfala and sisters within the different affiliates are trying to do, which is to support one another and elevate one another. Do you have any closing thoughts, um, pieces of advice for the rest of us? You have to be your own best advocate. And I think that kind of goes um, to a lot of different professions. Um, And I think I I would be remiss in in not mentioning right now that um, what's happening in the rest of the country in, you know, just throwing out there that uh, it, we can't, as Filipino American lawyers, um, talk about these successes and the struggles that we've had without acknowledging the successes and struggles of the Black community and other communities of color in, you know, fighting and struggling against these institutions that are designed to divide and oppress. 
Um, and I will leave you know, you. additional analysis to people who are far more intelligent and engaged in it um, than this you know, kind of scatterbrained new mom. But um, I really think it's, it's appropriate for us to just take a moment to, to honor the, these struggles that um, the Black community and other community co uh, communities of color have had. Thank you, Tracy. And I think you deserve far more credit than you're giving yourself. You, you have a great broad experience to draw from. So um, thank you, my friend. Thank you for your time. I know you have a busy day ahead of you um, with just general family life. So love you, my Enfala family. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. You've been listening to In the Pocket. For more information on Enfala, look us up on Facebook or go to enfala.com. Many thanks to Tracy Badua for spending a morning with us.